We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Welcome to another episode of Red and Buried Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Frankie. And we have the lovely Hannah King joining us today. Hello, Hannah. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the invite. We invited you on, Hannah, because I met, we met at Capital Crime and you were such a lovely, bloody delight of a human. <laughs> and so I just, well, I just wanted to talk to you more, basically. It was Bloody delight people, those are the ones you have to watch, though. So. That's the thing. Well, that's mm. why I, I want to keep a closer eye on you. So I invited you on to get, we're going to dig beneath this nice surface. I believe there's a monster lurking. <laughs> <laughs> no one can write such, I was going to say twisted, that's not really fair, but um, dark book as you can and be entirely pleasant, surely. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. We will see. Uh, before we get into uncovering Hannah's dark secrets and true nature, I'm going to read out a little bio about Hannah uh, that I have taken from the internet and hopefully it's all accurate. So apologies if it's not. Hannah King is a novelist from County Down. Great start. Didn't even say County Down, right? <laughs> She's, <laughs> she studied both her BA in English and MA in creative writing at Queen's University Belfast, graduating in 2017. Her debut novel, She and I, a literary thriller about claustrophobic friendship and the danger of assumptions, was published in 2022. The TV rights have been optioned and Hannah is working on her second Northern Ireland-based novel. Hannah lives in County Down with her husband-to-be, two adorable dogs and three aquariums. She's also one of the loveliest and sweetest people you could ever have the pleasure of meeting. Straight from the internet, even that bit. Yeah, that, that, that last line especially, yeah. yeah. I found that quite creepy actually. <laughs> Oh, spot on. <laughs> oh, good. Glad to hear it. We've already had a bit of, before Sarah joined, uh, a bit of aquarium-based chat because three is a lot of aquariums as well. Would you believe that? Actually, I think now that I'm counting them, I think we have four. So maybe one of them is new <laughs> since that was written. <laughs> two of them wow. are aquariums and two of them are like, they're tanks that are acceptable, like normal people tanks that you can have <laughs> in your house. And the other two are huge. Like one of them's like 200 leaders i think if that's not ridiculous wow. it's like in my head it's like the one in romeo and juliet that they see each other through is it like yeah. that i mean yeah if we went at either side of it yeah i suppose it's like that yeah kind of nice four's too many for one house in my opinion it's just a normal house so, you know you basically live under the sea at this point essentially that's the next step yeah i think <laughs> let's jump straight in i really really enjoyed your what first novel i he yeah are you working on a second one at the moment? What stage is that at? Oh, thank you very much. First off, it's always, it gives me a little frisson when people say they like my book and I, <laughs> I feel like I can't look them in the face, uh, but um, <laughs> thank you. Book two is written. Book two is, I was just saying to Frankie before I go through stages of, I hate this, this is the worst book anyone's ever written. And then stages of, oh no, I love this idea. This is great. I'm really happy with it. So book two is written and I'm kind of dipping in and out of it. It's changed a little bit since I thought it was a complete first draft. So we'll see. That could take a while. Um, but I'm like halfway through book three and book three is flowing a little bit better. So I feel like book three might become book two, <laughs> essentially, if it keeps going the way it's going. Sometimes it just happens like that, I think. I think I needed to get another another book out to kind of find where I'm going. So that's the stage I'm at. That's the very complicated stage of my life at the moment. <laughs> Amazing. How long does it take? So how long did it take you to write book two? And how far into the process are you with book three? 
Facebooked, who I sat at about that awful, awful 35,000 word mark that everyone hates for like <laughs> five months. And I, oh, wow. I sent, but then I wrote the rest of it in like a month because I took a month off last year to do it and I did it in the month. And so wow. not very long for that one. Book three, um, again, I was sitting around a really awkward uh, word count for a long time, but I'm hoping I'm going to take the month of April off. I'm going to going to finish that I'm hoping to finish that by like mid-May like I mean she and I took 11 months but that was with working full-time all the time and working mm. um night shifts as well so I think I was a little bit brain was a little bit addled for, for the process of writing <laughs> she and I but um so yeah these ones are taking less time but it's because I'm allowing myself time off work <laughs> that's the only reason yeah. so. God, 11 months while doing night shift as well that's pretty extra hardcore. impressive I wrote it by hand actually on my breaks like um, what? yeah it, it felt like felt like a little uh, a little lost Bronte like sitting in the office <laughs> with my, looking out the window at night um, and wrote that and then at the weekend I would kind of just type it up and that would nearly be like a first edit because it was that that stage of it's going from my awful handwriting to be on the screen so that was like a first edit it worked I, I don't know I would recommend it if, if people are struggling to find time do it, do it in your break do it by hand just do it like that it worked for me I don't know if I could do Have it you- stuck to that for books two and three or have you given up on the handwriting book two I did a little bit it's just to get away from the screen I think we spend so much of our lives absolutely glued to them and obviously if you especially if you do it for work it's I mean getting away from the screen is such a massive thing for me so I kind of make myself carry a notebook around and I'll take advantage of 20 minutes of being free um so a little bit of book two yeah was was written by hand book three no none of it was by hand it's all it's all been on the computer but um don't know I'm trying different things I'm finding what works for me it's good I'm in a good yeah. stage of my career where it's the very start and I can just kind of mess around and see what is going to hopefully work eventually bit of experimentation mm. to see exactly. what works mm-hmm. yeah why not so let's talk a bit about your wonderful debut she and I which I also really thoroughly enjoyed and what inspired it for you the thing with she and I was that I mean I wrote it in 11 months in 2019 and 2020 but it was a book that I had been kind of writing in my head for like five years probably like I felt like I 100% knew these girls like I just I carried them around with me everywhere I went I'm really close with my best friend neither of us has ever killed anyone I always feel like I have to put that in because that's it's usually Legally, a question you have to say that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah sure sure <laughs> wink, wink. something <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so I'm very close with her and I'm like I've always been really interested in I want to write a love story but not a romantic one I, don't, I wouldn't want to write mm. a romantic story and I don't think I could um but I'm really interested in these kind of non-romantic relationships where you would kill for each other or you would die for each other all of that stuff so yeah, it was it was a book I kind of been um, been thinking about for an awful long time um, until actually I put pen to paper. It took an agent reaching out to me in 2019 because she'd read a short story that I'd written um, for me to actually say, all right, okay, well this book that is kind of growing in my head, okay, I'll, I'll actually start writing that down and commit to it because I always thought that I would write short stories. I did like throughout uni, I like that's what I always submitted for like things that you had to do for uni, and I thought yeah, that's, that's long enough. Like I can't commit to 90,000 words of one thing, but apparently I can. And apparently I really enjoyed it. It was definitely the most enjoyable experience ever, like watching the book kind of grow. Cause you know, a lot of the writing process does take place in your head. Like by the time I was coming to write it down, I mean, I knew what was happening in the next chapter. So it was a really kind of nicely organic experience and, and I really, really enjoyed it. Books two and three, not, not so much. Those were not in my head, first of all. That's, that's as much as a surprise to me as it is to anybody else reading it? 
and that's where she and I came from. So tell us more about your your short story that got the attention. So was that in a kind of similar vein to she and I in terms of theme or? It was, it was quite tame actually. There was no, there were no murders in it. It wasn't oh. very gritty, um, <laughs> but I think it was published in, um, is a book called Blackbird. It was an anthology of um, like Queen's University ex-students um it was kind of oh, all wow. put together in a little book and then sent to agencies I, the, the idea was oh, hopefully somebody will get a an agent from this and then I was lucky enough that it did happen for me that way it was called A Fair Grief and it was about a couple getting over the death of their son I haven't read it for a long time but um <laughs> I think that's what it was about um it was kind of it was tamer than than the stuff that I was writing at the time and it was a little bit tamer than maybe she and I and my novels have been but I think my agent um, wrote and said that she, she liked the style of the style of it so we kind of we went from there and I, because I knew I had someone that was going to read it I think that's what gave me that push to go right okay well you need to write it before someone can do that but you know it's such a it can be such a lonely process because it's just you and your computer or you and your notebook for such a long time that just the fact that I knew someone would read it just was life-changing I'm very grateful to her she just changed everything yeah that's amazing I have to say the premise of she and I is something that may, maybe this is my paranoia showing through but I get quite worried sometimes. Like you can imagine waking up after a night out or just a night drinking, not having a clue what's gone on, and suddenly this nightmare unfolds around you. And oh, it's yeah, mm. very much so. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. You know, I didn't have a particularly interesting like teenage years, but it's always in my head. Even if you get like a little blank spot, like oh, I'm not exactly mm. sure how we got home. That is really that's really scary. Anything could have happened to you. You could have yeah. done anything. And like some people turn into a completely different person when they're having a drink as well. So mm. you maybe think to yourself, oh, I could be, I could be capable of things that me, sober me is not capable of. So yeah, it's an interesting premise. A scary one now that you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also really interesting as well about um, friend, the friendship aspect of it too, where um, how far do you go to kind of protect your friend and, you know, keep the, keep the story and all that kind of thing. Cause it's something that Sarah and I have discussed a lot, I think, in our friendship about if one of us committed murder, would we back the other person up? And we've always been pretty, pretty firm on that. We have another friend called Hannah who instantly would crumble um, and she would give <laughs> us up. So we've had, yeah, we've had a few Weak. discussions about how to get around that. But it's always good to have a, a plan in mind, I think. Just in case you don't know what the future is going to bring. That might be know. a real thing. Although, like you no. say, things happen, you wake up, there's a body there. What are you going to do? You need to figure it out. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, me and my best friend would, would discuss things like that as well. I think <laughs> there's obviously, a, there's a line everywhere, but where is that line? Is it further mm. than covering up this murder we've committed? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Good Rupert question. Where is the line? Where's the line? Mm. I love that question. I always like yeah. asking that question. Everything that I write, I've noticed this recently, is like, is about obsessive love, like <laughs> romantic, but always obsessive. Maybe that's my thing. I only noticed this recently, all in mm. a similar vein. Well, love that. Better to be obsessed with fictional things as opposed to real people sure. <laughs> legally that we're allowed to talk about on, on a recorded medium Definitely. Yeah. so one of the questions we ask everyone is what do you enjoy most about the writing process and on the flip side what do you enjoy least can you answer that considering your writing process is changing quite a lot by the sounds of it yeah I would say I definitely I don't have it down yet I definitely don't have a, a process I, I don't yet know if I'm a plotter or not because I've done different things for all of them and I, I have to let you know I don't know through sales figures maybe which one of them works yeah. the best I don't know I, don't know how it works. <laughs> I definitely I know what I do and don't like I really don't like 
like struck anything structural I don't like changing anything structural but just because it is so hard and I think Mm -hmm. when you're the author and you're so in with the details and you know every single thought these characters have ever had it's very very difficult to pull yourself far enough away that you can see the kind of timelines I find timelines so difficult I made a massive mistake in she and I and they were like completely the wrong age or something I can't even remember but it took my editor to spot that saying, I don't, I don't think this is right. And I was going, oh my God, no, you're right. You're completely right. But <laughs> I know them so well. I just didn't even notice this. Yeah. So I kind of, I find that very difficult. I'm not saying I, do, I don't enjoy it, but it, it's just so hard and it's so time consuming as well. Like that would nearly take longer than, than the whole writing thing. Mm. I like the most, what I like the most is when I, you go back to read something that you wrote a couple of weeks ago and it's actually, it's fine. And you read it and you kind of get, <laughs> maybe absorbed in it where you start enjoying the story instead of enjoying your own genius yeah maybe (laughs) (laughs) oh wow this this is a good book oh wait no I I wrote this this is great I'm loving this this book's really good who wrote this (laughs) so I like coming back to a manuscript I like taking a break and coming back a while later and actually saying okay no it's gonna be fine everything's fine you don't need to panic everything's gonna be okay that's really satisfying makes it kind of worth it to come back to something after a good break Mm. And obviously, you're from Northern Ireland, and the books are set in Northern Ireland. I guess how how important to you is that setting for for your narratives, and what does it mean to you as you write them? The girls were always county darn girls, like in the in the five years that I had to to be with them without them being in a very much. So, and I think the the small town was always going to be really important to me, and the beach is important to me because it is just important to me, and I love it. And why mm. not? If you can set a book at the coast, mm. why wouldn't you? Because it's yeah. the best. I think there's something about like small town mentality like if you have teenagers in a small town you can kind of make them do anything and I would I would believe it because they're so bored and they don't have mm-hmm. enough to do that they will you know experiment with these drugs or invent their own drugs and I, I find it more believable because they're not doing anything else like they're hanging out in each other's houses seven days a week they only see each other really they don't really have a grasp of what's going on outside of their little bubbles. So there's something mm-hmm. really nice about small town life. And I think Jude and Keely were, were always going to be County Down girls. So I, it's just, it's a small town in County Down. This sounds like I'm starting to sing here. <laughs> <Rhyme> here. <laughs> it was a beautiful folk song. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> um, so they were, they were always, always going to be that. And I think I really like it. The town's called Vito Bridge and I've, I've used it again in book three because I really do like it. I feel like I know it. It's like an amalgamation of where I live, if I lived at the sea. Like, so with, with that, mm-hmm. I'm a, yeah, an amalgamation of my town and my nearest kind of sea town. Um, so I would like to live there in Beto Bridge. I've just invented where I want to live and put them there, <laughs> basically. Yeah, why not? And with that, I read in the on the internet that your next book is set, is set there also. Um, the sec, Is the third one set there too? So yes, book two is set in like a fictional island off the coast of County Down. We all love a good island. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like a kind of small island, but it's very like up and coming and it gets lots of tourists, but it's it's completely fictional. I don't think such a place exists. Um, and then book three is set back in Vito Bridge um, in the exact same place where Jude and Katie oh, wow. are. So yeah, I think I'll always write set in Northern Ireland setting is very important to me I think even before I'm 100% okay with my characters almost even before I'm 100% sure what's going to happen plot wise I need to know where I am definitely I mm. need to know what are the kind of limits here and what are the possibilities here before I start any sort of writing and you're writing presumably because you, you were born there and you, you you live there now that it's what you know to a degree as well to inform it yeah apart and from I think some added bits 
yeah and I think it, it's quite obvious I think when an author hasn't lived somewhere or mm. when it's like somewhere that you know they've they kind of know from tv but they have never actually been there yeah. I think so I think it's safest as well just to I'll keep me where I know you just look out the window wrong. or like pop out yeah yeah literally <laughs> Andy inspo <laughs> and I believe from knowing you briefly as I have that you are also a big reader is that fair to say read a lot yeah um recently I only read like crime thrillers I haven't read anything like meatier than that for a couple of years probably since I started writing she and I I just I don't know sort of fell in love with crime again writing all this mm. time, so I found coming out of uni having studied English after that I was done I was yes. like I never want to read another classic again <laughs> give me much. the brain fluff <laughs> <laughs> well I started in my English degree Sarah and I both did English as well I we studied Agatha Christie one of my modules. I had a great we time. We did not. We yeah. did not either. Oh man, <laughs> I'm sorry. A different you, degree. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That was great. I did. Yeah, a Marple and a Poirot. I was living oh. the dream. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Sorry to humble brag. Yeah. Well, in that case, love to know what was the last book that you read and absolutely loved. I mean, the book that jumps to mind is The Appeal. Janice Hallett's The Appeal. I feel like reading yeah. Janice Hallett is an experience. It's not just lifting a book. It's like you're going on a journey, strap in. That's like how you feel about all of Janice Hallett's books of the appeal. I mean, I devoured it in like two days. I haven't done that with a book for a while. I also read, it's not published yet. It's out in May, I think. It's called Unsolved by Heather Critchlow. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but it's actually, you guys might like it because it is about a, a podcaster. This is about a guy whose sister went missing when he was a kid and now he kind of he does like true crime, true crime podcasting mm-hmm. and he kind of tries to get to the bottom of other things that have happened. It was excellent. It was very, very well written. And it's the start of a series. So it's going to be just the first Ooh. of a few. So that was excellent. Brilliant. Nice to get in the beginning of a series as well and not have to go back and yes. work your way through. Nice. Very much so. Ah. Well, the appeal is sitting on my TBR already, but um, I'll oh, definitely so bump good. that one up in that case. She's everywhere as well. Everywhere I look, everyone's raving about Janice Hallett. So it should be. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those ones that, you know, sometimes you see a book everywhere and you read it and you're like, what was that? How disappointing. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. like the opposite. You see it everywhere and then you're like, oh, right. Okay. That's Fair why. Enough. That's why. <laughs> Fair enough, Janice. We'll give it to her. It was a debut <laughs> as well. I think the appeal was a debut. So like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Barnstormer. Talking back about your books again and about considering this is your debut, but we don't know your other two books yet. So I'm intrigued. If you were to be a character from one of your books, who would you be and why? Interesting. Well, so the two detectives and she and I, one of them is Jess Curran. Mm -hmm. I think I I liked her. I like writing her so much that I'm going to save her and I'm going to write about her again at some point. I haven't got the book planned, but I know I want her. I think... Is there something with crime novelists that we kind of all in our hearts also really want to be detectives as well? Yes. Yeah. I think there's something there. Even as a reader, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think there's that. So I think if I could be one of my characters, I would love to be Jess because she's kind of, she's a little bit spiky and she can kind of, she can keep up with the humor and she's, I think, a good detective. We, we, we don't know that much about her after she and I, I kind of have a backstory in my head that um, I'm sort of playing around with, but I would, I would like to be here because I think she's pretty cool. Um, and yeah. she gets to be a detective, which is just so dreamy. <laughs> mm, 
probably less dreamy in real life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's very glamorized, isn't it? Like, yeah. but that's fine. <laughs> it's all like the bureaucracy stuff. It's like, that seems a bit boring, whatever. But, you know, the fun stuff, like the murder stuff. Yeah. Murder stuff. If I could choose to just do those bits. Yeah. 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 Can you make bits. that call? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you think we'll get to see her backstory in a future book, maybe one day? Yes, I think so. I've kind Sweet. of got very rough. I have the notes app on my phone is just filled with here's an idea here's an idea oh here's an idea for a scene or like here's an idea for like a feeling (laughs) if I kind of put them together there might there might be a whole novel in there I don't know but there's definitely going to be a little bit more of Jess because I think she's got an interesting backstory I think oh brilliant we've actually discussed this before with a few other authors do you think realistically now that you you kind of got your head in crime you read a lot of crime books you've written you're on your third now do you think you could solve a murder I think I could give it a very good go (laughs) (laughs) And that's the spirit that you need to go into it (laughs) with. So I think that's half the battle, isn't it? I think I could. But then, um, you know, like my mum got her living room done up a while ago and I didn't notice. And now I'm thinking, (laughs) maybe I'm the least observant person. Because she was saying, oh, what do you think? And I'm looking around this completely different room. Oh, about what? What what are you talking about? So (laughs) I'm thinking... I don't think I should be in charge of anything like that yet. You might have noticed there was a dead body in there or something. Yeah, you'd hope, yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I'd give it a go. I would love to do it. I would like to be like brought along, you know, like a, they do like a ride along in the US yeah. like for a long and just like stand beside them quietly and take notes while real detectives go on a case. I would love to do that. I don't know mm. if they offer that in Northern Ireland. <laughs> you should find out. Is it? Yeah, yeah, worth an ask. Or end up being like... Well, I imagine the only way I could get into this kind of thing is if I do a marple and I'm just nosy and annoying enough that they're like, fine, just come in. Jesus, stop, stop, stop lurking it's at crime scene. All of your close friends and family stop being murdered. Then you're like, fine, okay, you can come along, Jesus. That's what it takes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth sacrificing a few. Sure. So another question that we ask every author, and I'm always fascinated by the answers to these, is what typical crime genre trope do you hate or are sick of? Maybe hate's a too strong word. So having read a lot of crime in the last few years, most relationships that you see in crime books are really, really unhealthy or they it's just really sad and they hate each yeah. other. There's not mm. a lot of actual nice relationships because you can still write a crime book. There can still be awful things happening, but they could go home at the end of the day to someone that they at least like. <laughs> yeah. And they tend not to. Like there tends to be a lot of history there, a lot of like bitterness there and they hate mm. each other. But I think Jane Casey is really good at this. So Jane Casey, the Maeve Kerrigan series. Um, mm. I started reading those recently. That was another one. I, I read the first one and then found out she has like 10 or 11. I was like, oh, this is brilliant. This is like Christmas time. <laughs> and she's really good at, like she puts the humor in whenever they're in the police station, but there's some really good relationships in there and it doesn't have to all be doom and gloom all the time which I think Mm. she needs because the books are so gritty like really Mm. weird graphic stuff happens in them but I think yeah I'm kind of sick of um of just reading all these awful relationships and then coming away from the book feeling like that story was great I'm a little bit sad now though yeah yeah Yeah. I guess it's a really easy way to completely isolate a character so it Mm. moves the plot along quickly but yeah, it is unrealistic. It's a little bit unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. We we um we had Nikki French on recently, so Nikki and Sean, and, and they were saying that something that they are they find quite frustrating is when the knob when the character almost seems to know they're in a crime book. And it kind of feels like that sometimes when you're reading a book and all of the relationships are awful, everything's going wrong, everything's very serious. 
And that does kind of take you out of it almost because it's just too unreal that everything would be that horrendous all the time. Yeah, because you'd like to think that even in the middle of an investigation, people go home to get some sleep and they have conversations that aren't about the case and they'll kind of have other worries about stuff that happened to them last week. And I I feel like, yeah, you're right. It's, It's like they know they're in a crime book. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that actually came to my mind there was um, I feel like in detective books now, like and crime books, the writers are usually trying to be a little bit different, a little bit clever, and that's fine. But often I find the detective doesn't really do a whole lot of detecting. So I mean, I'm thinking of like Poirot and Jonathan Creek solve the case and they're mm-hmm. the only ones who solve it. But obviously with the kind of the way that books are written now, you've got loads of different points of view and all this mm. stuff which is fine I, I love doing that I can't physically cannot write from one point of view um, <laughs> but it's often you, you kind of either you know what's happened from like halfway through and then the detective catches on I feel like there's not we don't see that much of a detective actually sitting working things out and the yeah, detective coming to the to the conclusion it's kind of like it's there and they are the ones who say it out loud and that's it so maybe, maybe I'll do that maybe I'll uh, we'll take the reins on that I'll make the new Jonathan Green. Yeah. What a Jonathan Revelation. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we, we've also discussed relatively recently, I, f- I forget which what episode it was, where they don't tend to gather everybody into a room, all the suspects, and then reveal who the killer yeah. is much these days. Or in real life. Because I guess for a number of reasons, probably because you shouldn't have a killer in a room full of innocent people and you don't know what they're gonna do. Uh, it doesn't always end up end up very well. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's what the police force is missing in this day and age. And it's very satisfying to very read that satisfying. or to watch that play out, knowing the, yes. the killer's in the room, who's he going to name, who's he going to point the finger at. I mean, that's satisfying. Yeah. It works yeah. for a reason. And then the detective reveals how they got there. And I, I've said to, before to Sarah, one of my dreams is to be on the periphery of a crime. Like, I'm not directly involved, but I'm kind of a witness, sort of. And then I get to be in the room for that moment when they do the big <laughs> reveal and I can just watch it happen. Lifetime dream. Yeah, 100%. Oh my God. Yeah. Obviously, ideally Poirot, I re- I'm aware he's not real, but that, yeah, that kind of... That guy. Yeah. yeah. Dream. Yeah. Oh man. Sarah, are we at that point? We are at that point. Uh, I, I can't even, yeah, I can't even make you do it because you did the last one. Okay. So Hannah... I'm afraid. <laughs> what? I'm afraid I have some terrible news. Oh dear, what? Yeah, well, and also given the themes of she and I, I think this could be an interesting answer to this question. Ooh. You have committed a terrible crime, Anna. Okay. We all know about it. You've been caught. Uh, first of all, what crime do you think you've committed that's so bad? Spoiler, you've got the death penalty. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, whoopsie. <laughs> My bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, something to do with road rage. A road oh. rage of mine that just gets really out of hand. Someone's done something awful to me. Yeah. And I feel completely justified in whatever I've done. Yeah, <laughs> what... Road rage, I think, is fine. I think that's very yeah. justified I, often. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. So you like basically like ran them over, then reversed, ran over them again, maybe, maybe three or four times yep. back and forth. And then drove off feeling much better about it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah thank God that's done. But ultimately, uh, you weren't very subtle about it because everyone saw and you've now been caught. <laughs> yep, okay, I'm with you. And you're such a demon on the road at this point that they've the courts have decided that you can't be trusted to live anymore yep. unfortunately <laughs> yep okay yep so that's that's what's happened fine <laughs> and i'm very sorry to report that yeah unfortunately as i spoiled before you have been given the death penalty but it's not all doom and gloom much like we said the good news is 
We're going to make you the death row meal of your dreams before you are put to death. Okay. So Perfect. what would, what will your order be? My order would be, it would be, it would entirely consist of desserts. So it would be um, a baked Alaska. Oh, yes. Which I have only had like twice in my life. Do you know how hard it is to find baked Alaska like in a supermarket? Very, <laughs> That's so true. Very it's not common these it's days, just, is no, it? It's nowhere. I don't think we have it in this country. I'm starting to think Have you ever made it? No. Could I make it myself? Of course you could. I don't know. Oh, mm. Mm. What do you mean? Of course you could. People make it so you can make it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So baked Alaska. I believe in you. Thank you. You're welcome. And also eaten mess. Um, I have oh, yeah. The meat and mess as well. And a glass of... um like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and then I would be I would be I would die happy that would be okay so a meringue based kind of dessert is your oh, preference oh yeah they it? both are yeah I've just mm. realised they're kind of yeah, similar but yeah you like what you like that's yeah. good choices can't go wrong with those two I love that you've gone for all sweet that's great there's a fascinating lack of chocolate there though well maybe there will be some chocolate on the side okay. a little box yeah. of lint or something oh. as long as you're not a chocolate hater no no oh god okay. Sarah please she was Sarah hang on <laughs> yeah <laughs> Gone. Kick off. Gone. Okay, wow. And so straight into sweet, no savoury options. A lot of respect for that. Thanks. And you've got a nice bottle of wine to go with it. Mm-hmm. That's the dream. Okay, we can do that for you. No Thank problem you. at all. Way to go. Very good way to go. So <laughs> full of meringue and maybe the odd <laughs> lin- Lindor ball here and there. Uh, unfortunately, you have now been put to death. R.I.P. Sarah, I hand to you now. I hand Hannah's <laughs> dead body over to you. Yeah, very, very sad. Um, apparently <laughs> I'm in sad. charge of burying you, but you can take any one book you like in your coffin with you to be with you for eternity. What's it going to be? Ooh, that's a good question. Has anyone ever said like a book about oh, how, how not to be buried alive or like how yeah. to escape? Have, do people say that? Yeah. Fiona Cummins, I think it was, had a book about, um, she said a book about becoming a vampire so that you can come back to life. That's not a bad idea. That's mm. not a bad try. I don't want to steal mm. Fiona's answer though. You um, can steal it. <laughs> do people pick their favourite book? We have a really interesting mix between mm. a lot of people have a childhood favourite or an adulthood favourite and others have one that made kind of a big impact on them as well. Yeah, I was going to say like Notes on a Scandal kind of mm. made, not made me want to be a writer because I think, I mean, I was literally doing an English degree at the time or creative writing degree at the time. So that probably came before that. But <laughs> I think I read Notes on a Scandal and it's not, it doesn't do anything fancy. It's kind mm. of, it's a reasonably linear timeline. It's written from Barbara's point of view, but it, there's something so creepy and so disturbing and so special about like every line in that book and I remember finishing it for the first time and thinking that was incredible but I I think I could have a go at doing something that's not that dissimilar so I would say in terms of like oh books that changed my life like that's definitely Mm. up there I read it like every other month for like a year I don't know I was going through a weird time (laughs) (laughs) it's all right Sarah's done that with Mamma Mia like she watches it on the reg at least once a week, right, Sarah? Oh, well, 2020. That was, was a dark period. <laughs> I had a friend who watched Love Actually like every day for two months. It wasn't Ooh, even wow. around Christmas time. It was like the summer. What? Was it at least during COVID when we all lost our minds? No. <laughs> oh, that's a cry for lost our mind all by ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did that with speed when I was probably about 13. I watched it like every day for a month. But I feel that there's a lot there. It's a rich rich <laughs> a lot to unpack <laughs> and all of these stories there's a lot to unpack <laughs> exactly interesting okay wow 
I love actually every day for two months. Like <laughs> it might have been longer. Actually, I'll have to. I'll text her and ask how long did you watch Love Actually? Please I'll text find her out. We'll find out. I'd love to know what you get on like a third watch of it in three days. What yeah, you... it's not one of those movies where oh, I get this big metaphor now. It's not one of those. <laughs> no. You don't need to watch that sixty times. <laughs> Just... Wow, that is fascinating. That might be worse than Mamma Mia once a week. I don't know. Actually, <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. I don't know though. Actually, now that I've said it, I don't know if I mean that. <laughs> and also yeah. it occurred to me when you were talking about writing she and i's you wrote that during lockdown then i was yeah i, wrote, I finished it during lockdown i think i started in june 2019 and finished it in like may 2020 so yeah the last couple of thousand were definitely were over lockdown i was living with my parents because i literally sold my apartment on like the 20th of february and then the world ended oh. two weeks later no. and i couldn't move into my house so i moved oh. in with my parents it was really good it was the best thing ever <laughs> people cooked for fed. me like Looked three after. meals a day it was really good yeah <laughs> wow and it must be quite helpful for finishing writing a book you're like well i have to stay in so i might as well write it was pretty good yeah it was definitely yeah. it was a useful time not a wonderful time it was useful career-wise it <laughs> might still be writing it now if we hadn't had that might still be there wow. so then some good did come out of lockdown I'm good just just your book just specifically book. that's enough yep. <laughs> yeah yeah that's Worth more than it. enough <laughs> big statement <laughs> it's just very 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 impressive that you use your time so productively thank you as I said Sarah watch Mamma Mia quite a lot <laughs> not to shame her again but I feel like it bears repeating <laughs> yeah I also played a lot of Animal Crossing and yes, did. I did that drank too drank a lot of wine yeah it was mm. I definitely didn't produce the book anyway <laughs> but memories live life to write about it that's what you were doing you were in your live life for you <laughs> it. it's coming the book's sure. coming let's go let's go with that <laughs> write some Animal Crossing fan fiction or something <laughs> Oh my that must God. Be. I can guarantee there's some out there. I'm going to look that up when yeah. we hang up. <laughs> if you can think of it, it exists in fanfic. That's, that's, yeah. that's the world we live in. I do a separate, another podcast, my Poirot podcast about the TV show. And we found out that there is a, there's a lot of Poirot fan fiction out there. Is it all written by you? Not all <laughs> <laughs> um, No, mine, mine is a lot filthier than that. So... <laughs> But I haven't actually read any of it, but I feel like I need to do a deep dive. Fan fiction is fascinating. It really it? is. Mm. The whole other, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? Here's a question. We've never normally asked this one, but it's suddenly come to me. If you had to write fan fiction about what something, a book or a film or a TV show or whatever, what would you write fan fiction about? We can all take our time with this, we Sarah. Can, yeah, you think about a, it too. That's a big, that's a big question. I mean, yeah. probably Friends. Because I feel like... Ah, oh, that's nice. Those are characters that... Yeah, that's pretty tame, isn't it? Have a murder in it. Yeah, there would have to be. I don't think I could <laughs> physically write anything like that without having a murder. Jonathan's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Dark. He actually is dead, isn't he? He's already the actor. Yeah, I feel bad he now. is. Yeah. So I didn't mean that. Sorry, internet. You always have to take things too far, I didn't don't mean you? To, I forgot. Sorry. Every time. Yes. Sarah, what would yours be? I mean, I don't think it will shock you, Frankie, to hear that I have dipped a toe into not writing fan fiction, but reading. Oh, I, for a second, I was about to lose my mind. You've been secretly writing fan fiction this entire time. No, I don't have the attention span, <laughs> but I have been known to enjoy a Harry Potter fan fiction or two in my younger years, at least. Nowadays, I don't know. Can I ask a question about <laughs> Harry Potter fan fiction? Does it get, is it all sexy? Does it get filthy? I imagine it does. Or does it just depend on which there's one you read? There's a lot of filth, but no, there's a lot of not filth as well. They ship a lot of unusual couples in the Harry Potter one, don't they? I mean, they have like yeah. Draco and 
Dumbledore and stuff. They have just they'll just put any any pair together they can think of. Yeah, I think it's make another it of those things. It's out there. If yeah. you can think about it, it's out there. Yeah. I think there's um uh Frank I don't know if um if you've read or watched them, Hannah. Frankie hasn't. But there's a giant squid in the lake on the castle grounds. I'm pretty sure there's some like dirty giant squid fan <laughs> oh, right. out there. Well, that's yeah. news to me. <laughs> that is yeah. crossing into like hentai territory, isn't it? That kind of anime. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it could be very good. I don't know. I didn't. No judgment on me. the Red and Berry podcast to each their own. I don't know what I'd write fan fiction about. <laughs> Mamma, Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. <laughs> 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 Fair enough. Yeah. What about you, Frankie? I, I feel like I can't say poire right now because I've kind of just been talking about it. Uh, looking around my room. That would be a bold move to mm. try and write poire fanfiction. But it I would think. all be erotic. That it would just instantly, <laughs> like, it would be nothing to do with murder. It's just about, like, you know. On my podcast that I do, Labours of Hercule with, with Adam, uh, we, we have discussed, we have a theory that every Christmas, uh, Sarah doesn't know this because she's never listened to my podcast. She's a very supportive friend. Um, every Christmas, Miss Lemon and Hastings, they basically book into a hotel and just go to town on each other for the whole of Christmas. And they never talk about it. It's once a year, they meet up, have a sexy Christmas, and then just go back to work as if nothing's happened in January. I buy that. Seriously. Sarah, how do you feel about that? It's going to come upset. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> Why not? Hastings is a sweet creature who would never go to town on any woman. No, but Miss, I think it's Miss Lemon's in control of the situation, you see. Oh, She's no. a ruthlessly efficient and she knows what she wants and Hastings is more than happy to give it to her. Anyway, this is... <laughs> So that's maybe I'm sure I thought I was coming on. No, <laughs> no, no. it's not normally, <laughs> Hannah. I'm sorry. I bring out the worst in you. <laughs> Apparently just, so. Just very excited to see you. Well, Hannah, thank you for putting up with us, and thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> thank you yeah, so much sorry for having it took me. Such that was a great. weird turn. No, I love it. To... This is the best thing. Podcasts aren't normally like this. This is so much better. <laughs> I loved it. Especially other book podcasts. You know, I've, I've had some nice messages from people that have listened saying like, I really like your podcast. Like, it's really silly. You don't really take anything seriously, do you? I was like, oh, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> Giving the people what they want, Frankie. That's well, all that matters. Uh, lemon and Hastings. Lastings? I was going to say what their ship name is. Lemon sounds too much like Hyman. It Sorry. Does. <laughs> okay. Uh, Hannah. <laughs> Where can people follow you on social media? I have Twitter. I'm really bad at Twitter, but please come follow me on Twitter. Um, Han King. I think I'm just called Han King. That's how bad I have Twitter. Who knows what my handle is? I think it's just, that'll be somewhere. Yeah. And um, yeah, I have Instagram as well. Han King 7, I think. It's, that's how good I am at social media. Very my, good. My publishers love me. <laughs> we always say this as well i always feel bad for authors because you're expected to be good at everything and it's like you you didn't become an author to, to have a social media account you wanted to write yeah so. i know so many people that are so good at it i have friends mm. that just the stuff they post i'm like oh yes i'm gonna save that for Liv later matthews yeah she's good she's amazing she's just it. good at everything though she's just one she of those is. girls she's just wonderful yeah she is a lovely wonderful sunshine person she really is <laughs> just like you <laughs> oh stop i talk about hymen way too much to be sunshine it's <laughs> <laughs> twice in two minutes <laughs> That's a lot. Sarah, save me. Talk about something else. <laughs> and if anyone's not following us on social media, you can find us 
at Red and Buried Podcast. Very good. Yep, perfect. Yep, so Sarah forgets the name week. of the podcast quite a lot, Hannah. That's a hard one. It's a good hard name. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Apparently, it's very difficult for the person that helped me create it. So, well, I mean, very loosely. I basically well. show up and talk for half an hour, and that's my contribution done. But I'm very lucky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you couldn't do it without me. Um, no. Yes, thank you everyone for listening, and thank you again, Hannah, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure for us, if not you. Yes, sorry, Hannah. <laughs> Go and buy Hannah's wonderful book, She and I, and also get ready for the next two. I'm very excited. Uh, Will you come back again and talk about the future ones, please? I would love to. I will force myself on your podcast, whether you want me or not. (laughs) Definitely. I'm going to write that plot line in my fan fiction. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. I need to go and have a cold shower or something. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you're a fan of British comedy, particularly broadcast on the BBC, that's been going for a decade or three. Try shipwrecked, shipwrecked, shipwrecked and comatose, covering all of Red Dwarf, including those additional specials, heroes and the foes, anything else, well, who knows so find us on your podcast apps and be greeted by some friendly chaps and mark's deep obsession with all cats it's shipwrecked 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 and comatose we're not on insta's twitter's hard mode red dwarf pods are social uh both subscribe and enjoy us a load